reading today is taken from Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to read from verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the peace, may God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, in the stillness, may we know you. May your spirit speak to us as Alan comes and shares the word that we've heard. I pray, Lord that you would touch everyone here this morning. Those who need encouragement, uplifting, strengthening. Those who need comforting, 
those who need your peace. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for the harmony and community that church life brings, that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk this morning about one of my favorite subjects. It's the subject of leadership and uh, leaders and leadership. And, and that, that idea is going to conjure up some pictures in your mind. Some of you are going to think about uh, sporting leaders. And I would imagine that there'll be some of you who maybe will think, for example, of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, I know that there would be a few, probably be a few people um, around Cornerstone, some of whom may be in America at the moment, uh, who probably wish that Sir Alex Ferguson was 20 years younger than he, than he actually is. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, you heard me. Um, and whether you're, whether you're a Red or not, and I'm not, I have a son-in-law who's a Manchester United fan, um, but whether you're a Manchester United fan or not, you've got to acknowledge that he was a, Sir Alex Ferguson was a pretty effective leader. Others of you are, who are a bit more sophisticated are going to think political leaders, and you're maybe going to scratch your head and think, well, where have we seen good examples of political leadership recently? Some of you will think of business leaders. I uh, think of entrepreneurs who've set up their own business and been very successful and so on. And whatever, whatever way your mind goes, when you think about the subject of leaders and leadership, the reality is that all of us live our lives surrounded by the impact of leadership. You can't avoid it. Someone once said that one person can live on a desert island without leadership. Two people, if they're totally compatible, could probably get along and even progress. If there are three or more, someone has to take the lead. Otherwise, chaos erupts. Now, he may have been overstating it when he said that chaos erupts when you've just got three people on a desert island, uh, but, but you get the point. I also wonder if maybe there are some of us, you know, and if, if, if even only one of us was living on a desert island, chaos might erupt. You know, some of us would be so, are so contrary that we can't even get on with ourselves. Now, we want to talk this morning about um, the way this chapter that's been read to us, Hebrews chapter 13, the way it refers to leaders. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about leaders and leadership. You get pictures of leaders, portraits of leaders, uh, kings, uh, for example, prophets who led in a different way. Um, you get leaders in uh, the New Testament church. Uh, people who were apostles and evangelists and so on, who helped to lead the people of God. Lots of different leaders. Uh, you'll find a few of them, as you read through the Bible, are good leaders. They're effective leaders. They're good in terms of their character. You'll find that many of them are not. And even many of the ones who are effective and good leaders, they're still people who have feet of clay because leaders are human. And there's no such thing as the perfect human leader. The only perfect leader that there has been has been Jesus. 
So there are all kinds of pictures of leaders or pictures of how leadership itself works. And one of the pictures that is often used to describe leaders in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, is the picture of a shepherd. Are there any shepherds in the room? By the way, just put your hand up if you're, if you're a shepherd. No, there, there are not. And well, we've, we've, probably, we've probably all seen shepherds around the, the hills and the mountains of County Down. Um, and in the ancient world, it was not unusual for people to think of their kings as shepherds, shepherds of the nation. And you find that, that is, that's evident in, in Scripture as well. Uh, and the leaders of the people are often referred to as being shepherds. And when you think about a shepherd, the shepherd needs to have at least two qualities, probably more, but at least these two. A shepherd needs to be brave, and a shepherd needs to be compassionate. Certainly in the ancient world, they needed to be brave because as they led their flocks, there were all kinds of dangers. There were wild animals who could threaten the flocks. Uh, perhaps there were people who would be uh, inclined to steal the flocks if they had the opportunity to do that. And shepherds had to have the courage to be able to face those dangers and protect the flock. But they also had to be compassionate. Sometimes there were sheep that got lost or there were sheep that were sick, and a compassionate shepherd would have taken the time to care for and, and nurture those, those sheep. And as you think about the, the ideas of compassion and the idea of courage and how that applies to shepherds, and the fact that shepherd is often the picture that is used to describe the leadership of the people of God, well, you can see how that would work, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The compassion that the leaders of the people of God need in order to be able to care for those who are weak, those who need help, those who are going through difficulty, but also the courage that those leaders need, those shepherds need, in order to be able to protect the flock from the spiritual dangers that they come across. Now, sometimes you'll find that the word is, that's used in the New Testament for leaders of God's people is the word elder or elders. Um, sometimes the New Testament talks about bishops or overseers. That's two English words that, that uh, we use alternatively um, to translate the same Hebrew or the same Greek word. And you'll also find the word in Ephesians chapter 4, you'll find the word pastor or shepherd that's there. And they're all basically talking about the same task. They're all talking about what, mean, what it means to shepherd the flock of God. Elders are to shepherd the flock of God. They have to, they're to have the courage to protect it, and they're to have the compassion to care for it and feed it. And that's the picture that you get. It's behind what Paul talks about in Acts chapter 20. That's where he gathers together the elders of the, the, elders of the people uh, of, the, of the church, gathers them together, and talks to them and tells them to pay careful attention to the flock. And it's also what stands behind what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he, when he gives some instructions to the elders of the churches there. Now, what we've read in Hebrews chapter 13 doesn't specifically mention elders, but actually in that chapter, the word leaders occurs three times. Look at it if you have your Bible still open in front of you, and I realize that a lot of you have electronic Bibles, but if you have your Bible open, have a look at uh, verse 7, verse 17, and verse 24. Three times this word leader is mentioned. 
In verse 17, the writer says, remember your leaders. In verse, sorry, that's verse 7, remember your leaders. In verse 17, he says, have confidence in your leaders or obey your leaders is the alternative translation to that and submit to their authority. And then in verse 24, right at the end of the chapter, he says, greet your leaders. And it's really these, these three references that I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about uh, for, for the time that we have together. So we start with verse 7, where he says, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, nobody knows, apart from the person who wrote it, I suppose, nobody knows who wrote this letter to the Hebrews. It's an unusual letter in some ways. Uh, it doesn't begin with any greetings, um, and, and it doesn't say who it's from. Um, there are a number of things about it that, that make it a bit unusual. And it's probably right to think of it as more of a, it's like a letter that's written. It's really like a sermon that's written in the form of a letter to a group of, of people, uh, believers from Jewish background, uh, who were beginning to find that their faith in Jesus was leading them into various difficulties. And there were, they, there were temptations to turn back. And, the, and Hebrews is really all about encouraging those people to keep going in terms of their faith. With this reference in Hebrews chapter 13, to the first, this first reference to leaders, so in verse 7, what the writer is thinking about is the first people to speak and teach the Word of God to these believers. Who were the first evangelists and the first leaders in the formation of this community of believers in the Lord Jesus? They first spoke the Word of God to them. They lived out their lives in front of these new believers, and they demonstrated a faith that the new believers need to imitate. Notice those things in a little bit of detail, just for a moment. First of all, they had a message. They spoke to them the Word of God. That's how the Hebrews got started on their journey of faith in the Lord Jesus. Someone spoke to them the Word of God. We've all heard the gospel from someone, haven't we? We didn't just dream it up by ourselves. At some point in our lives, we've heard someone or some people speak to us the Word of God. And Scripture encourages us not to forget the people who first spoke to us the Word of God. Paul talks to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, you know, from your childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, and you've also known the character of the people who shared the Holy Scriptures in the first place with you. It's good for us to think about people who first spoke the Word of God to us. Uh, someone once told me a story uh, a number of years ago, and I may have shared it here before. It bears repeating if I have shared it here before. But it was a man who used to be a minister in, in a congregational church, in the denomination of the congregational church. And uh, one day this man was in Belfast. He was in a part of North Belfast, and he was walking around, and he saw emerging from a uh, cemetery uh, a man whom he recognized as his old Sunday school teacher. He went over to him and introduced himself. He said, my name is so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, I, you were my Sunday school teacher. 
And uh, I want you to know that I have come to faith in the Lord Jesus and that I am serving Him in Christian ministry. And the old man opened his coat and from the inside pocket took out a little notebook and a pencil. He opened it to a particular page where there was a list of names, and with his pencil, he put a tick beside the name of this congregational minister. He obviously had a, na- had a list of the names of various kids that he taught in Sunday school, no doubt down through many generations. And it seems that he hadn't just written those names down, but he'd prayed for them. And as he discovered how God had answered his prayer, he was able to put a little tick beside the name of that person. That's a wonderful story. Remember your leaders, those who first spoke the Word of God to you. And maybe even as I'm telling that story, some of you can think of something similar. Maybe not as dramatic, maybe not somebody that you bumped into, uh, but maybe you can think about those who first spoke the Word of God to you. So there's a message that these people have. There's also their character. The writer says, consider the outcome of their way of life. So you saw the kind of people they were. It wasn't just the message that they shared with you, but you saw the kind of people that that they were. Think about how their lives worked out. And thirdly, their faith. Their faith was to be imitated. Imitate their faith, he says. Now, it's a Faith is a significant theme in, in, uh, all the way through Hebrews. Uh, there's a big emphasis on the need for the Hebrew Christians to, to keep on believing. And of course, chapter 11, as you probably realize, is, is a whole list of people, Old Testament characters. By faith they did this, by faith they did that, and so on and so on, uh, all the way through so much of the story of the Old Testament. But what you see here is that it's not just ancient characters from the Old Testament whose faith is worth thinking about. But the writer says, those people who first spoke the Word of God to you, those leaders that you first had, think about them, consider the way they lived their lives, and imitate their faith, their message, their character, and their faith. Now, it's a worthwhile exercise for us from time to time to reflect on people who have contributed to our journey of faith. You know, there's a little saying that you may have heard, and it's that when you see a turtle on a fence post, all right, get that picture in your mind. When you see a turtle on a fence post, you realize that it did not get there by itself, right? Obvious. Isn't it true for you and me? We did not get where we are by ourselves. I didn't get where I am by myself. None of us gets there. Think about the people, maybe the leaders who first spoke the Word of God to you, maybe others who weren't necessarily leaders, but they spoke the Word of God to you, or people who've built something into your life and have helped you to become what you are and who you are today. Who are the people who have spoken the Word of God to you? Think about who they've been. Maybe it's been your parents. Maybe it's been other people in the church that you grew up in. Maybe it was a youth leader. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was 
someone that you went to school with or someone that you went to university with who was a Christian and you weren't. They were from a Christian family and you weren't. And, and there was something about them and they started to talk to you about Jesus. Maybe it's somebody that you met at work. And it may be that you remember vividly some of the things that they said to you. You may remember the, some of the phrases that they used very, very clearly. It may be that you don't really remember in detail much of what they said to you. But as you think about them, you realize that there was something about the quality of their lives. There was something about their faith. And as you consider that, it encourages you to follow on and to keep moving forward in your own journey of faith. Now, we can't, none of us can live in the past. You can't, we can't live in the past, neither as individuals nor as a church. We've got to live in the present. We've got to live in the present with an eye to the future. But there are some aspects of the past that we cannot afford to throw away with the rubbish including those people who first spoke the Word of God to us. They're examples to inspire us and for us to imitate, like the examples of the people uh, who spoke the Word of God to these Hebrews. Now, before we leave this little bit, don't miss the implication of this for leaders. Some of you are leaders. Don't miss what this says to you. How are spiritual leaders to make an impact? Well, it's simple, isn't it? through the content of their message, speaking the Word of God, by the outcome of their, their lives, the kind of people they are, and by the character of their faith. If you're a leader, that's your task. If you're an emerging leader, maybe a younger person who's growing into leadership, those are your goals. So remember your leaders. That's the first part of this. Then we jump down to verse 17. And in verse 17, the focus, the focus shifts, uh, and we, we, go, we move from the old leaders who've left their mark to the current leaders who have spiritual responsibility for the well-being of the community. So look again at verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The Hebrews are to have confidence in their leaders and submit to their authority. That's how the NIV translates it. The ESV translates it, obey your leaders. I think um, I prefer the translation, have confidence in your leaders. I think the verb really has got the idea of persuasion. It's got the idea of trust. It's not just a, a militaristic type of a thing. Um, but we're to trust our leaders, and we're to submit to them. In other words, we're to follow their lead. Now, maybe you've heard the expression that if you think you're a leader, but there's nobody following, well, you're just taking a walk. Uh, and some leaders maybe need to pay attention to that. If you think you're a leader, but there's nobody actually following you, well, you're, you're, really, just, you're really just taking a walk. But what happens when you're leading and the people who have been following you aren't following you anymore. What happens when followers don't want to follow? And there may be several reasons for that. One of the reasons for it may be that uh, some of the followers think that they're smarter or be better educated than their leaders. Uh, what happens if I think I'm better informed or better educated than the people who are trying to lead me? 
why should I submit to them? Why should I submit to their leadership? I think another reason uh, has to do with the, the, the moment at which we find ourselves in human history, this part of the 21st century. I think there's, a, there's been an increasing anti-authoritarianism in many ways. In fact, I think one of the things that's happened this year in 2021 is that there's been a huge increase in skepticism towards leaders and leadership and towards experts. I'm not saying all leaders are experts, by the way, but I think it all, it all, it all goes together in, in this case. There's been an increase in skepticism. And I have a little hunch that one of the legacies, one of the sad, one of, one of the sad legacies of this year is going to be that going forward, people are going to be skeptical of their leaders. They're not going to want to be led. They're not going to want to follow. And as well as that, as well as all of that, there are times when leaders get it wrong. And when leaders get it wrong, you think, well, whoa, hang on a minute. If the leaders have got it wrong, should we really be following? Now, sooner or later, it, it's, there's a fair chance it's going to happen that your leaders are going to get something wrong. Why is that? It's because your leaders are human beings. They're, fa- they're fallible. Leaders are not infallible. They're not perfect people. And one of, the, one of the worst mistakes, I think, that a leader can make is to refuse to admit when they've got something wrong. I've got something wrong. People are realizing I've got something wrong. I'm just going to double down on it. I'm, I'm just going to emphasize it. That's the worst thing to do. You can call it pride. You can call it stubbornness. You can call it an attempt to hold on to their position. But at the end of the day, a leader who makes a mistake and won't admit it simply erodes trust And without trust, leadership cannot function. In fact, sometimes trust is so badly damaged that a leader is not able to continue. I think good leaders will be perceptive enough to realize that sometimes they're going to get it wrong, and they'll be humble enough to admit it when it happens. It is not easy to do, but I think when a leader is able to do it with genuine humility, it builds trust rather than undermining it. So, Hebrews 13, verse 17, uh, obey your leaders or, or put your, have confidence in your leaders and submit to them, is not a claim that leaders are infallible. They are not. But what verse 17 here makes very clear is that leaders are responsible, and that is why you are to submit to them. And they have a huge responsibility. The verse says, that they watch over you. They watch over your spiritual well-being, and they will give an account. They will give an account to God. Your leaders watch over you as those who will give account. Therefore, submit to them. There's a serious responsibility with spiritual leadership. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 20, I've already mentioned it, just referred to it. Paul's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, And he says, you're to take care of yourselves, but you're also to take care of the flock of God. And he goes on to say this. He says, this flock of God is is something which God has purchased with the blood of his own son. That is so precious to God. He has paid such a huge price. There is such value in this flock of God. And so Paul says to those elders, because the people of God are of such immense value to God, and he's paid such a huge price for them, 
make sure that you take care of them. And back in the Old Testament, I think one of the stories that illustrates that the heavy responsibility of leadership, of spiritual leadership, comes in Numbers chapter 11 in the story of Moses. And you have Moses there, and he's overburdened. The load of responsibility is so heavy that he's actually having a conversation with God, and he's saying, do you know what? I can't do this anymore. And he says to God, if this is how you're going to treat me, if you're going to expect me to carry all of these people, and they're going to go on behaving like this, if this is how you're going to treat me, he says to God, I would rather that you would just end my life now. I cannot carry on with this weight of responsibility. There's a huge responsibility on leaders. There's a huge weight of responsibility that comes with spiritual leadership. Now, listen, you may be a person who wants to debate and argue everything that the spiritual leaders of this church say and do. You may want to do that. That may be your nature for whatever reason. But hear this. At the end of the day, they are accountable for the way that they care for you. They're not accountable for how you live your life. They're not accountable for how you respond to their leadership, but they are, resp- they are accountable for the way that they care for you. And you can either make their responsibility a joyful thing, or you can make their responsibility one endless pain. That's my paraphrase of how verse 17 goes on. Look at how verse 17 goes on. He says, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. You can make your leader's task a joy, or you can make your leader's task a burden. And the sad thing is that churches actually have the potential to destroy their leaders. I had a conversation on the phone with a friend just a couple of days ago. He's a church leader in another part of the country, quite a bit of a distance from here. And he told me about another another guy who's a mutual friend. Um, And he said, mentioned his name, and he said, he needs your prayers. And he went on to explain. The church where this other guy is, is leading has a bit of a history. The past several ministers that that church has had In the words of my friend, he said, they've spat them up. They've chewed them up and spat them out. They've chewed them up and spat them out. So this guy who's currently there needs your your prayers. Churches that chew people up and spit them out, you think, well, how could that be? Well, it can be. It, It is. It happens. There are times when the sheep are so vicious that the shepherds end up covered in scars. Shepherds will end up covered in scars, but that should be because they're protecting the sheep. And it's such a tragedy when the shepherds end up covered in scars because of the attacks that they've received from the sheep that they're trying to watch over and care for. And so this, this writer says, do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for this would be of no benefit to you. If you beat up your leaders, they're going to be unhappy, and if they're unhappy, so will you be. Nobody's, nobody's going to benefit from that. 
Now, I've already said this, and I'm going to just say it again so that you don't misunderstand me. Leaders will not always get it right. And hopefully when leaders get it wrong, they'll be open to hear another perspective. They'll be open to be challenged in an appropriate way. They need to be able to do that. But where there's a spirit of rebellion and criticism and judgmentalism and so on, what that will do is it will create a toxic atmosphere among the people of God, and it will make the task of leadership very difficult. No one will benefit, and the flock will not be well led. Submit to your leaders. Now, it's easier for me to preach about this than it would be for any of your elders to get up and preach it, wouldn't it? I can say these things. And if you don't want to invite me back, that's okay. Don't invite me back. But I'm free to say these things. So remember your leaders. Think about those who've spoken the Word of God to you. Think about the lives that they live. Think about their faith. Be inspired by that. Imitate that. Submit to your leaders. Those people who will give account to God for the the way in which they provide spiritual care, for the way in which they carry the responsibility for the spiritual well-being of the church. And And then verse 24, the final one. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. It's a funny verse in a way, isn't it? Funny verse to preach on in a way because it's like saying, well, say hello to all your leaders. And say hello to everyone else. That's a nice thing, and I hope, I hope as a church that, that you would take that seriously. Say hello to people. Don't, uh, you know, don't ignore them. Say hello to your leaders. Say hello to everyone else. Uh, it should be, should be fairly easy. But I just want to make this point. There's something that's implied in this verse. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. The implication is that not all of the Lord's people are leaders, right? Some people are. Some people are not. Some people are recognizable as leaders. They're particularly equipped, particularly called, and particularly identified as leaders, and you know who they are. Now, hopefully, and from what we've already seen, particularly from verse 7, but also from verse 17, hopefully from what you've seen there, you can identify your leaders, not just because they've got a, a title attached to their name somewhere. That might help, but there should be more to it. Hopefully, you can identify them because of their message, because of their character, because of their faith, and because of the attention that they bring to the spiritual well-being of this community of the church. Not everyone has that calling. Not everyone is a leader. But let me throw in a couple of little uh, cautions there. The fact that some people are leaders and not everybody is a leader doesn't mean that the work of ministry is meant to be held on to by just a small number of people. I remember reading about a a minister of a church who'd gone on his first ever flight on on a Boeing 747. I still remember my first ever flight on a Boeing 747. Uh, quite a long time ago. Um, it's not all it's made out to be. I found, well, actually, on one, I, one of the journeys, somehow I managed to get, I uh, seemed to get upgraded into an area where there was a bit of room. But if you're not actually, uh, if you don't actually have that happen to you and you can't afford to pay to flat travel business class, it can be a bit cramped. 
Um, but anyway, there he was on, his, on his, this amazing experience of a Boeing 747. You know, some of you will think Boeing 777 is the thing to do now, or an A380, uh, something like that. But they said, well, what was it like? What was your impression of it? And he said, it's interesting. He said, it reminded me of my church. You think, oh, what was it about that? Was it the noise of the engines? Or, you know, no, it wasn't, wasn't really anything to do with that. But what reminded him of his church was the fact that you had got all these hundreds of people and they're all comfortably reclining in their chairs. Sit back and enjoy the flight. While a small number of people spend the duration of the flight scurrying about, making sure that all of those other people are comfortable. That's what reminded him of his church. It shouldn't be like that, should it? That's not what the church is meant to be. That's not the picture of the church. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul writes about some of the gifts who've been given to the church. He writes about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. When he writes about those gifts, he says, the Lord gave those gifts so that the people of God could be equipped for works of service. It's not just those few people who do all the works of service but they equip the people of God so that the people of God can do the works of ministry, can do the works of service. So even though that there are some people who are specifically leaders, and then there's others who are the people of God, but not with specific leadership responsibilities, the ministry is meant to be shared. That's the picture of ministry in the New Testament. The other little caution is this. The other little thing I want to say is this. You may be sitting here listening, uh, listening to me today, and you may say, well, okay, I'm not a leader in the church as such, but I've got leadership responsibilities where I work. And there may be some of you, and if you think about it, you may not even be in a formal leadership responsibility anywhere, but you carry a lot of influence. And the question then is, what does it mean to lead and to influence and to carry responsibility as a Christian in all of these other environments? That's a huge question, isn't it? And it's a very significant question. I think sometimes people like me, uh, we can preach and we can talk as though, you know, that all the stuff that really matters is just what happens on Sunday. Most of you, <laughs> most of you got tons of responsibilities and, and loads of stuff that happen, happens in, in your life from Monday morning till Saturday night. Sunday's only a little part of that. And what does it mean for you to go out into your Monday to Saturday life and to live that out as a leader, as an influencer, to live that out following in the footsteps of Jesus? You're maybe not going to have quite the same opportunities to present the Word of God. That's maybe not going to be appropriate where you work. But you've got a way of life, haven't you? You've got a lifestyle. You've got, you've, got a, you've got how you live. People know you. You mention, Someone mentions your name to a colleague. Say, oh, yeah, I know that guy or I know that woman, and this is what I know about them. This is how they live their life. People see your faith as well. We've all got faith in something, don't we? You know, whether it's faith in God or faith in ourselves or faith in the government or whatever, whatever it might be. We've all got faith in something. Wouldn't it be amazing in your workplace, in the place where you lead on Monday to Friday and you work and you serve, wouldn't it be amazing if people are saying, there's something about the way they live their life and there's something about the way that 
you know, even though they don't preach it, you just know that God is a reality in their life, and they live a life of faith and obedience in God. May not, the people that you know may not know, those, not know that language, may not be able to use that language, but there is a challenge to lead in those ways. Remember your leaders, submit to your leaders, and greet your leaders. Now, just to, t- to wrap all this up, I want to go back to one verse that I haven't mentioned so far. It was in the reading, and it's verse 8. It's one of the best-known verses in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, certainly probably one of the best-known verses in the chapter, maybe the best-known verse in the chapter. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Maybe you got it on a little bookmark in your Bible somewhere. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If you read on a little bit, you see there's an encouragement to be strengthened by grace not led away by strange teachings. You say, what's going on here? Why jump from the old leaders to Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever? Well, here's what I think is happening. The old leaders have gone, the ones who originally spoke the Word of God to these people. They'd made their mark. They'd left an example. They'd preached their message. <clears throat> but even though they had now gone and their voices were silent, the same, the, the, the Jesus who they had preached and the Jesus whom they had followed was still the same Jesus. So, this new generation who are reading this letter are to realize that even though those old leaders have gone, well, Jesus is still the same. The gospel is still the same. That doesn't need to change. And it seems from, from what we can read in, 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 that, in, that, in the immediate context there, this question of being strengthened by grace and not being led away by strange teachings um, and, and strengthened by foods and so on, um, it seems that what was happening was that now that those older leaders had gone and their voices were silent, there were new doctrines coming around, new fads, new ways of, of progressing in faith and so on. And there was a danger that this next generation was going to get blown off course. But they didn't need a new message. They needed the same message that they'd had before. Why? Because even though the people who had brought the message in the first place had gone, Jesus was the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, here's, I want to say one thing about this to leaders, and I want to say one thing uh, about this for everybody else. To leaders... You need to make sure that your leadership is about Jesus more than it is about you, okay? Make sure that your leadership is about Jesus more than it is about you. Because you see, when eventually you uh, are even older than I am, and you've lived your life, and eventually your voice is silent, what the next generation is going to need is not just your memory. That'll be wonderful, you know. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember those old guys, you know. They were really inspiring. They were wonderful. They loved the Lord, and they preached the gospel. They were amazing people. They'll enjoy, your, they'll enjoy your memory, and that's great, but they need more than your memory. They will need more than your memory. They'll need Jesus. So make sure that your leadership is more about Jesus than it is about you. Because if it's more about you than it is about Jesus, then the danger is that when you're not around to lead them anymore and talk to them anymore, they've got nothing to go with. And the implication for everybody else is this. 
Make sure that your trust is in Jesus more than it is in your leaders. Yeah, Seven, verse 17, have confidence in your leaders. That, that's, what, that's what he says. But if it all hangs on the leader, well, when the leader's not there anymore, or if the leader blows up, as happens sometimes with leaders, and is no longer able to lead, well, where do you go then if you haven't got your faith in Jesus? So make sure that your faith is going to stand when the old leaders who taught you are no longer around to teach you anymore. Make sure that you have the Jesus that they taught you about. So leaders need to make sure that it's Jesus they point to, and followers need to make sure that it's Jesus they worship. Remember your leaders. Submit to your leaders. Say hello to your leaders. But also make sure that your focus is Jesus. He is the leader that we need to follow, whether we're leaders or not ourselves. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we want to pray that you would take it and use it um, both to encourage us and to challenge us. Lord, I just want to pray um, that you would use it to, to urge us to, to move on from where we are today, for every one of us, Lord. Uh, those of us who are leaders in some shape or form, that you would move us on to grow in that. And for those of us, Lord, who are, who are young and life ahead of us, Lord, help us to, to lay hold of this message of the gospel and help us to aspire to live lives that, that others will notice for the right reasons and help us to cultivate that faith. And Lord, above all, and it's, it's so important, Lord, for us to, to, to be reminded of this in this world that is just full of so many voices and so many loud and angry voices. Lord, help us, leaders and followers, help us to follow the leader, to have our focus on Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. You're the same Jesus who walked uh, on, the, on the paths and through the villages of the Middle East. You're the same Jesus who was preached to the Hebrews. You're the same Jesus who inspired Martin Luther and John Calvin. You're the same Jesus that we need in a world of, of confusion and postmodernism and, and all of the things that, that, that are here that would distract us and pull us in so many ways. Lord, help us to resolve to make you the center of our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.